A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi everyone, it's Mark here. This has obviously been a pretty grim week because of the tragic loss of Sarah Everard. Uh, of course, th- these sort of things are happening all the time, distressingly often, but this particular case has led to a national conversation about male violence, and that's something which, uh, given that this podcast is all about exploring masculinity, we need to address. So I think that in the weeks to come, we will uh, have to take a look at this ongoing conversation about male violence and its consequences for all of us in society. Uh, in the short term, all we can say is that, of course, uh, like everyone's, our thoughts are with Sarah's uh, friends and family. Uh, this conversation, though, was recorded uh, several weeks ago, and this is a chat with Nathaniel Curtis. And of course, uh, this all took place before the events. Yeah, so we recorded this conversation with Nathaniel um, about a couple of weeks ago, and it is a really great conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. But we didn't feel like we could let the events of this week go by without having said something even if we're not sure what that thing is so our thoughts are obviously with Sarah's family and friends and with everybody who's been affected and continues to be affected by these things and our guest is uh, an excellent actor recently seen on It's a Sin Nathaniel Curtis well, this week we have the lovely Nathaniel on the other end of a Zoom call, which is very exciting for many of you who will have seen him on your tellies recently. Nathaniel, could you introduce yourself? Say hello to everybody. Who are you? Big question to start. He's not even given his full name. Yeah, oh, he's, Nathaniel he's got Curtis. quite a bit of work to do introducing himself here. Nathaniel Curtis. Is this, oh my gosh, this is terrible, isn't it? No, no this is part of the course for us. So Nathaniel, please help us. Who are you? Hello, I'm Nathaniel Curtis and I'm an actor. <laughs> well, I suggested you call yourself a handsome actor, but you've declined to use... Yes, but it's vain if I say that. It's flattering if you say that i think we can agree this is a handsome that's a handsome actor i feel like you should be confident in your handsomeness handsomeness and wearing sort of a fetching i mean they'll never see this but maroon i suppose is that the word with two clavicles on show (laughs) a handsome actor with some lovely clavicles Aside from your clavicles, of course, you're known for your television work. <laughs> yes, clavicles is a hell of a satisfying word to say. Isn't Clavicle, it? really it is lovely. Good. I don't like the word clump. That came up earlier. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I've got the giggles now. <laughs> if you've just tuned in, <laughs> this is the most chaotic we opening we've ever had. So the title of the episode is "I don't like the word clump," and then we'll just see what else we can piece together. Clumps and clavicles. That's a good title of the episode. Anyway, we're going to start, Nathaniel, with the question we always ask, which is. When do you first remember encountering masculinity? When was your first brush with masculinity and what did it look like? Okay, when I was very little, we were being babysat by my uncle. Mm. I must have been really young because I was also really annoying, probably about four. When you're at that age where it's just you think that you know everything and you really, really don't. I'm then now. Yeah, some people never progress beyond that, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd asked my uncle what his favourite colour was and he said to me that it was pink. And I remember saying to him you can't like pink because pink is a girl's color and that's something that obviously as a child was drilled into me Mm. 
And he'd turned around and said, actually, no, pink isn't a girl's colour. You don't have girls' colours and boys' colours. You have all different colours. Mm. And anyone can like what they like, which is kind of the first time that I remember kind of learning about masculinity, male, female, those kinds of things. I read somewhere, and this is going to be a completely bastardised version of what I read, but that pink never used to be, it used to be a masculine colour and then it was sort of co-opted, but it's ingrained into us what boys should like and what girls should like. But where did those ideas about what colours you should or shouldn't like, like where did you remember seeing that? Where did that come from? I don't remember the first time I'd heard that, but I remember so many times throughout my childhood and growing up hearing, you can't like that, you're a boy. Mm, Yeah. And yet I am the only son of three. I have two older sisters. And so, of course, they wanted to play with Barbies. So I played Barbies with them. Mm. But I remember that after a while, I wasn't allowed to play Barbies with them. I had to play Action Man on my own. I'm like, Action Man is great, don't get me wrong. But it just kind of having to kind of distance myself from that which wasn't my choice as well. It's quite a sad image, all these Barbies hanging out together and then just a yeah. solitary action man doing his SAS-type stunts on his quite own. Quite the on metaphor, a, really. On a, it really is. It's just at the start of a film, it would be fairly heavy-handed symbolism, <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of just growing up, I think that's something that you hear an awful lot, especially I, I was academic, but I wasn't very sporty at all. And I loved reading and art and music and acting, and they weren't boy things to like. Mm. you know with that came endless teasing and bullying and just kind of being a bit of an outsider because I was the only boy that wasn't sporty but was arty yeah I remember I took food tech for my GCSEs and I was one of two boys in my entire class food tech I don't think we have that in Scotland we didn't have that as an option I think that might be a new what cooking (laughs) (laughs) oh what a slam especially from a guy that puts recipes online one nil to Nathaniel we're going to write that one down here Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he has actually written one nil on this piece of paper (laughs) don't worry that is how methodically michael thinks about bitching after i had already uh, given you compliments about your clavicles it's quite upsetting nathaniel's come to play here (laughs) sorry i'll be nicer (laughs) no i don't think there's any need for that michael has his own way too much on this thing as it is i'm trying to get this back on track sorry michael (laughs) (laughs) did you have many friends that were boys when you were younger no not really I'm some, Mm. but my friendship groups have normally been made up of both boys and girls, but primarily girls. Mm. I always found it, especially when I was younger growing up, I found it so much easier to get on with girls because that's what I had at home. I had primarily women at home. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite a hard question to answer, I suppose. But we're here to ask the tough questions. questions (laughs) Why do you think that was? I think it's common for younger gay men to be part of friendship groups that are predominantly female. I wonder why that is. And I wonder what your perception of that, I guess, is. Well, I didn't realise that I was queer. Right. Until I, well, until I moved to London. Ah, London. <laughs> well, it was something that happened late in life. It wasn't really an option. And How late in life was that, by the way, Nathaniel? When, when did you move to London? I moved when I was 19. Right. I moved up to London for drama school, yeah. And you, you hadn't seen yourself as queer until then? No. I mean, I'd... No, I hadn't actually. And I think that when I moved, I was like, oh, it's it's okay. It makes sense that actually I do like guys as well. Like it's Uh having that option kind of open up in that, oh, you don't just have to like what you've been told to like since you were a child, I think is really liberating. Mm. I really don't know how that came about. I actually don't really know how to answer your question, Michael. I think that it's just something that I'd naturally fallen into. And it was something I'd never really questioned because I, yeah, the school that I went to wasn't really built for 
people who are different, if I'm honest. And being different in quite a few ways, I just kind of, I just had to power through school. And then when I left, I had to kind of leave it behind. Yeah. I think it's interesting about, you said you didn't really think about any other options when you're growing up. And I think things have changed since then in terms of the world opening slightly and education broadening slightly and the mainstream media broadening slightly in terms of representation of different people. But who did you look up to around that time? Who did you see and kind of go, oh, I can identify with them? I had one drama teacher called Mr. Borton, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, but he wasn't at the school for very long. He arrived when I was 15 or 16 and he'd left by the time I was in my final year. So that was like 18. And he showed me that actually you didn't have, you know, because I'd only ever had female drama teachers up to that point. And I loved acting, but it was like the girly thing to do. Yeah. And I didn't, I can't say that I particularly got along with those female teachers either. But Mr. Borton showed me that it was okay to like acting and that actually it wasn't just about learning lines. There was so much more to it. There was an academia to it. There was a life bubbling underneath the whole time which was so so lovely and it was something that I hadn't really explored before and he just showed me it was cool as well Mm. and he was really funny he was staggeringly intelligent and having finally found someone I was like this is the kind of guy that I can kind of get on board with I see a future in this somehow that was the first time I, I I mean it probably wasn't the first time but it was definitely he's kind of the guy that sticks out from my youth that has kind of inspired me I guess it's really good to hear that I think because not many people have mentioned teachers in these questions before but um, my dad's a teacher and I have lots of friends who are teachers and most people well perhaps not most but a lot of people get into teaching because they hope that one day someone will say exactly what you've just said that they'll be able to positively change the course of a life but often when you are a teacher you don't get many moments like that you're just bogged down by you know a million different types of stress and admin so you know if there are teachers listening yeah, because most successful people can point to at least one that teach like that and say they set me on this path and it's a shame that he's no longer with us but you know that's quite a legacy I think yeah what I really loved about him as well was that the other drama teachers didn't have an awful lot of faith in me I think I was quite weird at school I think is just the truth of it I was a weirdo I was incredibly messed up I was very very lost as a child and I'd been told by one teacher that I because I said that I wanted to go to drama school which I'd only kind of just found out about at like 15 and I thought it was going to be amazing and, you know, bright lights and going to be so successful. And I remember saying to her, she told me there was no point applying because I wasn't good enough. So this is the flip side. A bad teacher can ruin someone's um, future. <laughs> yeah. Just in case you get cocky. But then she told me that I should be a teacher. I had worked in education for years. I worked in it before I filmed it in and teachers and people who work in education don't get enough credit. That is 100% correct. I absolutely agree with that. And especially in lockdown, I, you know, I've become a teacher myself. Um, especially in lockdown, because of the, the kids, because of having children. Yeah, and so uh, I believe that teachers should get paid a million pounds a year. <laughs> That's my considered yeah, opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a little shout out to all the teachers out there. You guys are doing a wonderful job. And just, I wish that I'd had the chance to tell Mr. Borton how much he meant to me, and I never did. And I think that's one thing that I wish I could have done differently. You know, there are teachers that I still do have the option of saying that to, who you know had a big influence on me. And I, and but in a couple of cases, I haven't. I, I don't know if it is a male thing, but you're conscious that people won't be around forever and you won't always have those opportunities, but something holds you back from just... It's hard to send someone an email or a message or whatever saying, 
by the way, you had a major impact you on set my me life on the right 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. it feels like a, it feels like a non-masculine thing to do in some ways, definitely. Well, it's called expressing yourself, Mark, and that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not a masculine thing, is it? Exploring your emotions and that sort of <laughs> sharing them with other people. Did you feel able to explore and express yourself when you were younger? Drama was kind of the only way that I could express myself mm. right. comfortably. I think that I was searching for so many different answers at school, as children do, you know? Yeah. And... I was bullied really, really badly. I was bullied to the point where it nearly completely destroyed me. But in finding drama, in finding something that something that I was really, really good at, or I thought I was good at, I hoped I was good at. I probably wasn't very. I mean, good. you've proven you're, I... you're at least decent. <laughs> yeah, you must have been all right at some point. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You never know. And so I kind of being able to. This is going to sound so pathetic, but being able to step into someone else's shoes and live a different life, breathe different air, think different thoughts was so liberating and mm. kind of helped calm me down a bit. And I think it's really important that children get to express themselves, be it through art, be it through sport, be it through whatever way, but they need to express themselves. I agree. I also think that that, you know, that weirdness that you describe, like being weird at school, that's kind of what you're looking for in an actor or performer in some ways, isn't it? It's, it's been a satisfying thing to, to me as I've got older to see that people that were once labelled weird or didn't fit in stuff... It's not just a coincidence. It's for that very reason they stand out more in, in through, positive ways. I mean, Mark and I both studied English literature, and like if you look through history, there's a whole period of poetry where they're all talking about the only way that you can be a true poet or a true artist is to look at it from the outside and from a degree of removal. I'm thinking of a poem. I can't remember whether someone dead in a river, in the floating on the river. Could be a lot of poems. Yeah, probably too. Anyway, yeah, I think it a, sounds <laughs> a bit Thomas Hardy to me. <laughs> there's a bit of being an outsider, I think, that does seem to lend itself to acting. I wanted to kind of mention briefly, if you're comfortable to talk about the bullying that you mentioned there, how did that manifest in who was doing it? What was being said or done? I'm very tall now, but puberty happened very late for me i was quite short right and i was a little plump i guess but i was the only child of color right and i was very working class and i just didn't fit in there was absolutely nowhere that i fit in in school and then growing up you know being the one who liked reading the one who liked art the one who was good at music which i'm not now whoa so bad at music now but children can be very cruel. Yeah. And I think that they kind of sort out a hierarchy amongst themselves. And the people who are different are immediately ostracized. Yes, it was awful, but it wouldn't have made me the person I am today. The, the resilience that I think I, I built up. and But that didn't even stop at school. Mm. I encountered it at drama school, which isn't something that I've really talked about. But actually... Really? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I... Look, I loved drama school. I did. But it wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy, again, being a person of colour. I was once told in a voice class that I could pass for a white person. <sighs> which is so, again, it's a recurring thing that I've noticed is that it's people who are different. And I'm six foot five. I have long hair. I'm brown. I am queer. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with who I was. But although I'm comfortable with it, I'm also very aware that people just don't really know what to do with me sometimes mm. just interesting the word queer i think about it quite a lot i don't know if i mentioned it on the podcast before but i think as people of our generation because i think Daniel and i are closer in age this always happens to me <laughs> <laughs> all these clever talented much younger than me guess yeah carry on a lot of our generation is happy to call themselves queer or members of the queer community but then there's people of an older generation who find the word queer quite a 
upsetting word and can have quite a visceral response to it because it was used as a slur towards them. So when you refer to yourself as queer, what does that mean to you? So I I had relationships with women mm-hmm. before I realised that I also liked men and I then also had relationships with men as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. that I just It took me a while to find the word that I thought was the right one for me and I completely understand that it is like upsetting to some of the older generation, but it's a reclamation for so many people that I know that call themselves that. But in finding myself, I settled on that word because it was the one that kind of felt closest to me. And as someone who growing up didn't fit into the norm, being dual heritage, I was of a darker skin colour and yet I still spoke the way I did. And I never lived in India. I've always lived in England. So then I wasn't quite Asian enough to be Asian, but I wasn't white. And then I wasn't quite gay enough to be gay, but also I wasn't completely straight. So then I couldn't be either of them either. I mean, Nathaniel Curtis is such a white name, for example. It, yeah. it's, just, it's just super white. Although actually Nathaniel's <laughs> biblical. It's from the oh, Bible. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> so, and Jesus was brown. Yeah, but everyone in the Bible was white. I've seen the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and blonde. Yeah. They're all blonde I've as well. I've seen loads of pictures of Jesus. And <laughs> just like me with longer hair. <laughs> So you left school, you moved to the bright lights of London at drama school. And that was when you started to kind of grow into yourself, kind of the more recognisable Nathaniel that we see here with the clavicles on show. Which they still are, by the way. Which they still are glistening, I would say. (laughs) We're just feasting on them. (laughs) You're going to make him go really red. (laughs) Yeah, Nathaniel now is protectively covering his clavicles, clutching his clavicles. (laughs) As if on display in some sort of uh, zoo. We've never objectified anyone quite as much as this in a podcast. I would like to state for the record that Nathaniel and I are friends and therefore this is not as inappropriate. Uh, it's as lovely. It... Thank you. It's a compliment. We are very, very good friends, so that's fine. But I feel like I've gone really red. <laughs> Me and Nathaniel don't really know each other. <laughs> Which makes the flirting between Mark and Nathaniel slightly more strange. It's come as a surprise to me as well. <laughs> and it might come as a surprise to our producer, who is your partner. My partner, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she also thinks he's fit. Carry on. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
back on track. Here we go. When you got to secondary school, you started to, in your own words, sort of find yourself and work out who you were and where you fitted into things. And for someone who you've spoken about just then about being kind of like between heritages and between sexual identities and all these sorts of things. How did you kind of come to find that your place was sort of in the in-between, if that makes sense? I found the best group of people who are also in the in-between mm. and realised that they were the coolest people and that they were the kindest people. It's something that's been drilled into me by my mother that actually it doesn't matter what people sound like, what they look like, what they do. As long as they're kind, they're your kind of person. Mm-hmm. I mean, those aren't her words, but like that's kind of 30 years of my lovely mother. So, yeah, I and I found people who loved me, despite the fact that I wasn't what people expected. And I didn't even find them at drama school. We, I went to drama school, but then I found some of these people. But then afterwards, it was people from a couple of years below who I then kind of had run into. And the friends that I have got from drama school are some of my absolute favourite people and I would not be the person that I am today without them at all. It's nice to just talk about kindness because of course the podcast called Men Kind we're very interested in the idea of kindness but also I was going to... Um, okay, I actually didn't even put that together. Well, oh, Nathaniel. Not everybody can follow the complexity of what me and Michael are doing. You know, it's, it's a podcast that works on so many levels that we don't even know all of them but um, <laughs> but I, I was going to ask a question earlier which I think you've partially answered but just on the subject of kindness, we heard from another podcast guest that... Um, well, the phrase they use was hurt people, hurt people. In other words, bullies tend to be, you know, in some way damaged themselves. And we've talked at various points about social media and how it can descend into this kind of uh, endless slang off just between people who are mutually unhappy. So I was going to ask you how, despite being a, v- a victim of heavy bullying yourself, you avoided becoming someone that perpetuated mm. that cycle. But maybe you've partly answered it. Maybe it is about having friends, having that confidence in your own skin. Why are you so nice is what we're asking. Oh, I don't know if I'd call myself nice. I have a temper and I have, I don't know, I... Let's not forget you put Michael in his box a few minutes ago, yeah. (laughs) But yes, I suppose, sorry, a less flippant way of phrasing the question is how did you avoid being poisoned in your behaviour towards other people by the way you were treated in early life? I have a very loving pair of sisters and a very loving mother Mm. and, and a good group of people. And I think that when you are presented with the opportunity to bring someone else down to make yourself feel better. That wasn't something that ever had really crossed my mind. Yeah, And it wasn't even a, oh, I know how that feels, so I'm not going to do it. It was never a conscious choice. It was just something that hadn't crossed my mind. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And I think people thought that I was weak because of it, but actually mm. I'd rather be weak and kind than strong and an ass. You know, absolutely. Well, a strong art is often actually quite a good thing. Michael, it's been a while since you made a <laughs> remark like that, Michael. So we knew it was in the post. <laughs> there was a song called "Don't Take My Kindness for Weakness," which I don't remember who it was by even, but that's been a slogan for me mentally for years. I think you learn from the group of people that you're around. If you're surrounded by people who are positive and inclusive and friendly and kind, it kind of moves into yourself, I suppose. Is your mum the sort of will she be banging on about it to him and you being on the telly for the rest of time? Or my mother is very quiet. Because I've got a very loving mother, but she's also not that quiet when I'm on the telly <laughs> my mother and my sisters have been so supportive and they've been so wonderful and my elder sister is googling me every day yeah <laughs> and my uh, and my other sister don't lie nathaniel it's you you're googling yourself we all know no we've had this conversation <laughs> yes, we have. i have not been doing that uh, but my sister has um my other sister has as well and it's all there's so much support from them and there always has been they're just very very good people if they're all very smart and they're all 
great parents and you know just wonderful people who I wish I was a little bit more like if I'm honest I think that there are times when I'm not very kind well I hope it's not that often but I just nobody's perfect you know Mm. I wanted to talk about acting acting is often seen as a very competitive field where you have to endlessly accept rejection which is something that men are often not seen as very good at Um, yeah quite rightly Um, seen as not very good at i think how has your experience of that competitive world been how has that impacted your sense of self i mean uh, for me for example if i was auditioning for something and not get it it would take me maybe six months to recover that that would never happen michael (laughs) thank you for saying that thank you that's very kind (laughs) so you'd always get the role buddy always (laughs) but it is a good question how you insulate yourself against you know these constant disappointments and frustrations it's the same in comedy but acting is one of the most brutal games you can be in i think in terms of how many knockbacks you have to take yeah so i left drama school at 23 years old and i didn't land an acting job for five years Mm. i'd been up for some i'd been recalled but i just never quite landed the role michael would have by now gone to mexico and started his life again (laughs) yeah (laughs) absolutely but there's there's five months there's a certain sense of tenacity there which enormous tenacity and it's something that both of us don't uh, have admire (laughs) in other people yeah (laughs) there was never really another option for me i wanted to be an actor I was working in education. I absolutely loved it. And there were, you know, I thought maybe I'll go and be a swimming teacher or I'll train to be a chef. But those ideas were like panic ideas, thinking Mm. I can't pay my rent. What am I going to do? I can't do this when I'm, you know, in 10 years time. Can't be panicking like this. But then I changed agent and my new agent is a dream. And then I got one role and in the middle of that role got also playing Romeo, which was dead fun pun not intended and then um and then with that i got it to sin massive spoiler there by the way <laughs> massive spoiler <laughs> but i think that rejection i think at drama school you're taught that to an extent anyway you're taught how mm. to deal with not quite getting the role that you thought you were going to get in the show or mm. wanting to do this scene for say showcase but not being able to and mm. it's not so much that it's rejection it's just a quick change of direction yeah mm. yeah if you actually thought of it as five years of rejections that would be nearly impossible for anyone to bear right you, you find ways of framing uh, it. yeah and I, I don't know how i would have done it and now that we've called it that you're gonna have to have a long yeah. think about it when we <laughs> finish the call <laughs> <laughs> what did i do but i i think i i kept going because i didn't give myself another choice mm. because it's what i wanted don't get me wrong i did not see it's a sin in my future at all i was just happy to be acting but it's a sin has been obviously it's completely changed my life and it's been wonderful yeah but i was i was just, i just wanted to act it didn't really matter where i just wanted to act i think that is a good lesson to anyone with this sort of creative ambition basically there's no point in being ambitious to get specific roles or if you're writing or doing comedy whatever it is you you've just got to be ambitious to do the thing you want to do and hope that the world helps you out a lot of people imagine the big role or you know, Live at the Apollo or whatever, the book deal, they imagine those things rather than the work itself. And that's how you can be blown off course, I think. I was, we were told from, I think it was probably the first day of drama school, actually, if you want to be famous, don't be an actor. Because you get so much rejection. And I never wanted to be famous. So that worked really well for me. But then also at drama school, I, I never landed the big roles. I think the first lead role I got was in my final project. And that was because we were writing it ourselves. I was always the outsider. Or like they were wicked roles, don't get me wrong. But I was never... The romantic lead i was never your romeo i was never i i don't know i was never those roles so i never expected to play them 
Mm. But I was just happy to be doing it. <laughs> I, know I know you've talked about this in interviews since It's a Sin, and the reception of obviously has been phenomenal. But you're talking about the romantic lead, and you never get to do those roles. You then play Romeo, which is one of the biggest romantic leads, and then you Famous play one yet, to be Ash, fair. who is also a romantic lead within It's a Sin. Do you think the world is changing in terms of seeing brown men as romantic leads? But and especially, I suppose, with It's a Sin, where in the gay community, the racism is rife. Really, we never. This isn't really something we've talked. Not about. something we've talked about. No, I mean, not especially. I don't think. Really, I'll, I will dismount my soapbox and allow Nathaniel to mount, if you so wish, sir. Oh, dear. Sir, make me blush. I think Nathaniel's got every right to make the face <laughs> that he's making there. <laughs> and my question was basically: the world in which you've inhabited for so long has been that brown men aren't the romantic leads. But do you think it's changing? And for the benefit of Mark's question, what's it changing from, perhaps? I don't think it's really like it's not the audience's fault, but people aren't used to seeing Indian men be particularly sexy. Yeah. Obviously, you know, it's getting better. It has been getting better over the years. I am not denying that in the slightest, but I remember when I played Romeo, I had a teenager, a young teenager, probably like 13, came up to me and said, oh, who are you playing? And I said, oh, like, I'm playing Romeo. And then she went, you can't play Romeo because you're not blonde. And I was just like, well, okay, Mm. just let me show you. With a part like the wonderful, beautiful part I played in It's a Sin, which was so lovely, it's not a role that I would typically see being played by a man who is Indian. Mm. You know, Indian men are quite famously the academics, they're the engineers, they're the lawyers, yeah. they're the doctors. Yeah, chess player, maybe. The nerdy sidekick. <laughs> yeah. The chess player. Yeah. Yeah, they're the sidekick, they're the comic relief, they're the friend. And actually, although you don't see an awful lot of Ash's backstory in it's in. He's still very much part of the group. He is always there. For sure. He's silent and he's steady, but he is strong and he's always there. And the colour of his skin barely matters, apart from the first scene, which is hilarious. But it's acknowledged in that scene, which is important. It's acknowledged, and that's the thing. And in the gay community, or the queer community, colour is used as a way to... If you look at things like Grinder and things like that, you'll see people just passed over endlessly or on dating apps people will swipe the other way when they see people of colour and I don't really know where that's come from Do you think that happens more in the queer community than in the general kind of dating world of dating apps I wouldn't know You might not know I Having not used them I can testify it is more in the queer community I'm a man of dual heritage and also I have long hair that's another thing that Mm. men think that a man with long hair is not masculine Right When actually I think that I'm happy with who I am and I'm happy with my equilibrium of masculinity and femininity, if that's the correct word, which it might not be. I'm quite tired. I think it was. I think it sounded really good. <laughs> Thank you very much. But, you know, having embraced that, yes, fine, I'm not your Chris Hemsworth, but also that I'm not a particularly effeminate man, I think having long hair, mm. men see that and just think, well, that's immediately who he is. Whereas women love long hair on men. And then being tanned as i have been referred to a few times <laughs> oh same <laughs> which i'm very clearly not women find that more attractive than men i don't know if that's because it's fetishizing or they find it exotic mm. and i've also been called that so many times that must exotic is, yeah even when it's used to describe a solero i kind of recoil from it slightly solero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. solero. i'll take and it arguably a human is even more important than a solero <laughs> Depends on the salary and depends on the human. It's interesting. I, I feel sort of almost naive now, but um, I suppose I would have assumed that because queer people were already used to having been the victim of 
generalizations and being left out of stuff and being easily passed over themselves they'd be less inclined to treat one another that way but that as i say might just me being there's a a, idea a huge amount of internalized homophobia and internalized misogyny that kind of comes with that and Mm. there's a, a movement within the queer community where gay men in particular resist camp or uh-huh. what they perceive to be femme, like Nathaniel's mentioning about having long hair. People presume he'll be femme. Sure, um, right. Which I think people resist. I mean, look look at Alan Carr, who is the epitome of camp, the way he is authentically. I think you'd call him camper, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he has said quite openly that the worst homophobia he faces is from other gay men. For who, being who just camp. like his form of, of gayness, of yeah, queerness. which is... And it's really fascinating and that racism is rampant. If you think of pride, for example, you think of a white, cisgendered, able-bodied man. You don't think of of anybody else. Which is why seeing people like Nathaniel playing big parts on on massive television is so important. It's a game changer, a a different paradigm. Did you, when you were at drama school, like when you were, you kind of established who you were and what you wanted to do and things, were there people that you felt able to look up to within the world? that you kind of thought, oh, I'd like to be like them, or they felt like role models to you? Um, if they weren't, it sort of makes your point, really, in, in a way, which is that there yeah, aren't no, those visible I, figures. Honestly, as an actor, there are certain performances that you think, like, wow, wow, that is something that I will never, ever forget. But in terms of a role model, I don't, honestly, like, different people for different things, but I don't think I can specifically say there's one person who I thought, you know, I want to be like them. And you're going to be, you in It's a Sin is going to be that for another generation Which of people. Which is incredible. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. How does that feel? <laughs> We've made them uncomfortable yet again. <laughs> that is true. It just feels really weird. I've, it's really strange. I've had people say to me through messages and someone, you know, people coming up to speak to me just saying, thank you. I don't see Indian men being played in this way. I, I haven't seen someone like you on screen before. I'm also... Yes, you know, I am of dual heritage. There are actors who look like me in my face and all these different things, but also I'm incredibly tall. It's very unusual to find all of that as one. And that's also why I kind of had convinced myself I'd never really make it as an actor mm. because I was so different in so many different ways. It's another example of how what starts as a handicap, your difference yeah. becomes your virtue. Yeah. Virtu- yeah. Something that- but then having people thank me for being different is just so it's something i'm still getting used to to be honest people recognizing me in the street like people are thanking me for the show as well which is of course wonderful and i could not be proud of this show but people thanking me for being myself in the show is very unusual to hear and i think it's just 30 years of learnt behavior that i just need to undo and i'm still working on that which i'm trying my hardest <laughs> yeah i don't think you kind of get to an end point on that i think sadly and you're very recognizable in the street presumably if you are this tall as well <laughs> you're gonna get a lot of it <laughs> well i think you would be an odd sort of person if you didn't find it weird i think if you assumed that you deserved that sort of praise and validation it would be and some people who are very famous do become like that because perspective is very very hard to keep hold yeah of, I, I mean you've kind of been thrust into the public eye now both in the uk and stateside how has that been for you how have you found that it's been it's been really lovely the response to the show has been so warm and so inviting and people have been so kind about it. And actually, we are all incredibly proud of the show. And I had the most incredible time making it. I loved making that show. And for my first TV job, I know that I've kind of lucked out there. It was amazing. And the fact that it's been so well received and it's also bringing out these conversations in people. It's sparing people to be so brave and to come out or to talk about being HIV positive and all these different conversations. People are trying to learn. People are trying to educate themselves about this horrific disease, which has swept through and just completely eliminated nearly an entire generation of 
people, which is so sad to think about. And wasn't talked about either after it happened. And actually what was wonderful for me as Nathaniel was getting the speech about Section 28, which I knew virtually nothing about. And as someone who spent a lot of his time in the library as a child, having that moment where I'm like, this is not good enough. It's definitely spurred me on to to be a better ally. It's been quite unusual. It's been lovely. And then you get some people Mm. messaging just things which you'd expect with a character like Ash. And the weirdest thing is definitely having... I had someone chant my first line back at me the other week, which was... The internet's weird. (laughs) The line is, you need a bit of a wash. And I just thought... Oh, yeah. And I was like, why? Like, why? It's not something you want everyone to be sort of (laughs) yelling at you in the street, is it? But also quite the debut. (laughs) As first lines go, it's memorable, all right? It's funny how people do do that. I have not, never been involved in anything as important as It's a Sim, but even like if you've been on Taskmaster, people will just sometimes yell the name of that show at you as if yeah. you'd forgotten you want it yourself. <laughs> yeah. People love to just have a thought in their head that they associate with you and then uh, just shout it at you to see what happens. Yeah. No, it's very strange. <laughs> Having a public profile is uh, very bizarre. Anyway, we are coming to the end of the interview, which has happened very quickly. Time oh, flies. Sad. But the final, <laughs> the final <laughs> question that we always ask everybody is: If you were to be building a man from scratch, uh, as you know, you've listened to the podcast before, what three values would you build into people to help them thrive in the world we live in currently? Well, kind, yeah, emotionally intelligent, or at least has the capacity to be. And what do you mean by that? Someone who can embrace their feelings, but even if they can't, doesn't lash out at others for it, I think is incredibly important. And I think can also be very, very dangerous. And I think that the world would be a much happier place if people could accept their emotions. But if they couldn't, didn't take it out on other people, that would be lovely really yeah. <laughs> be kind and if you can't be kind at least be quiet about it <laughs> well kind of yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally i think someone loving but not just loving romantically can love their friends vocally and publicly love their family vocally and publicly love their job just mm. have the capacity to love and not be ashamed that they love something be it wrestling or be it playing with barbies and for other people as well i'd say like in terms of men being able to express affection for other men in a kind of a homosocial way rather than a homosexual way. I think it would be lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. That was lovely. Thank you for having me. And it was lovely to gaze upon your face. <laughs> the... <laughs> there you go, a bit of comic misdirection. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Is there no talent you don't have in I've your locker, Michael? I've learned over the past six months, Mark. I've learned. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, Nathaniel. Is there anything you'd like to plug or where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I don't think anyone will have not watched It's a Sin in the Universe. No, but so please don't also worry about watch that. it. Watch it again, though. <laughs> I, would, I would like to say, please check out things like the Terence Higgins Trust, George House Trust. There is so much still that can be learned about HIV and AIDS. And I think that educating yourself is incredibly important. That's it. That's me. That's a lovely plug. It's the best use of the plug section we've had. Yeah. 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 It makes me think that maybe I won't try and get Build a Bear to sponsor us, which I sometimes do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> this has been really, really great. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Nathaniel. Thanks a lot, Nathaniel. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Next week, we have Bethany Black. So we've covered what you do professionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then the who you are is, is a is a multifaceted question, it I think. Is, yeah. do, do, do you want to try and bring people up to date with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, uh, I'm gay. I'm trans. I'm autistic. I have ADHD. I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I have uh, agoraphobia. Uh, what? We've only got an hour. It's you, not are you yet. vegetarian? vegetarian uh, I vegan? am. I'm a vegetarian. I, I was vegan for a long time. I'm a recovering drug addict and recovering alcoholic. 
So let's crack on, shall we? Quite a lot to unpack. Which one would you like to start? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bethany Black is a brilliant guest. And uh, in the meantime, you can find us in the usual places on social media. And there is our email address, menkindpodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you for Bethany next week. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.